Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. I'm Josh. Inspiration is one of the key ways to transform, and Conversations with Leaders is a bi-weekly interview with industry key players, CEOs, financial authors, and professional money managers worldwide. Get valuable insights from the people who have seen it all. Please remember that this podcast is intended for educational and informational purposes only. Stay tuned for additional disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, let's get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Conversation with the Leaders. My name is Josh Gilbert, a market analyst at eToro, and I'm happy to be your host today. Before we start, don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe to our channel. Today, we're joined by Dr. Francis Wedden, founder and now executive chairman of Vulcan Energy. Dr. Wedden is a battery materials and renewable energy industry executive focused on developing global scale decarbonization opportunities. In this episode, we're going to delve into the world of lithium, Prices skyrocketed in recent years, but have fallen significantly from their peak. However, with electric vehicles on the rise, the rush for lithium is on. Today, we have a courtside seat with Francis and Vulcan Energy. Francis, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, how are you doing, first and foremost? Thanks for having me on, Josh. Uh, doing fine, thanks. Just fresh back from Europe, uh, visiting our project there, where we just opened our, our optimization plant for lithium extraction. Um, so, yeah, doing, doing well. It's all go. It's all happening. Amazing, amazing. I can understand the the feeling of coming back from Europe and, and the jet lag. So thanks for thanks for joining. Um, so to set the scene, um, I want to talk a little bit initially just about Vulcan Energy uh, and the business. Can you just give us a little bit more insight for our listeners into sort of Vulcan Energy and, and who you guys are? Sure. So the company was founded in 2018. Um, so I come from a background, um, originally a geologist actually, um, and uh, hard rock mining backgrounds. Been in lithium for about 10 years was relatively successful in the hard rock lithium space um, uh, when hard rock lithium was, was was quite unpopular, actually, relative to brines, and um, then uh, started Balkan in 2018, really with a, a whiteboard just writing zero carbon lithium and working backwards from there, trying to uh, use um, uh, industry uh, industry standard approaches, um, you know, well understood, commercially proven approaches bolted together to decarbonize lithium production. Um, because what I'd found in the previous journey with hard rock lithium was that lithium actually has quite a high carbon footprint. And this led, this led me to brines. So um, uh, Vulcan is uh, developing a subsurface, a deep subsurface brine project in the center of Europe, in Germany, bordering France, in the Upper Rhine Valley. Um, but the unique thing about Vulcan is that we're using adsorption type direct lithium extraction. That's nothing new there. That makes up 10% of global production today. But um, instead of using gas to heat up the brine, this process needs heat to work. Um, we use the renewable heat within the brine. And so it's a net zero carbon process. And we're actually producing a byproduct, a co-product of geothermal renewable energy, heat and power as well. Um, and we're actually producing baseload commercial power as we speak. And we're, we're building our first phase of integrated lithium hydroxide and renewable energy production um, at the moment. So we just finished our bridging engineering study, and that's for 24,000 tonnes per annum lithium hydroxide for the European market. Amazing, amazing. And we obviously hear a lot about lithium in terms of, you know, it, it being used in electric vehicles and sort of the decarbonization, but to really hear it being used in the sense of, um, you know, zero sort of um, zero emissions there is, is sort of fantastic to hear. And again, sort of staying with the sort of the, the lithium part there, 
we we've heard a lot about lithium because of electric vehicles really since you know probably covid in in sort of 2020 and as many people may know the price exploded through then and until sort of recently but i want to sort of understand a bit more about lithium and what sets it apart from sort of other elements and and why it's sort of so in demand sure so lithium is the lightest metal um, and it has the highest chargeability to weight ratio. Uh, so what that means is it's the irreplaceable component for uh, electric vehicle batteries. Um, so you'll hear about lots of different battery chemistries um, that go into electric vehicles, NMC811, LFP, et cetera, et cetera, um, solid state. They all use lithium in them. Um, so that's the, I guess, the unique physical properties of lithium that make it in indispensable um, for these electric vehicle batteries. You can engineer out uh, to a degree, you know, things like nickel, cobalt, uh, things like that out of the batteries. Um, you can't engineer lithium out. Um, we do see um, increased use of sodium uh, batteries, sodium ion batteries, um, which, is, which is welcome news, I think, because uh, we weren't building lithium ion batteries fast enough. Um, and they're being used in electric vehicles as well, but they hit a physical limit. Um, you know, we can't change the, the rules of physics. So in terms of range, they, they will be suitable for short range transport. Um, but most people want a certain minimum amount of range and performance in their vehicles and only lithium can provide that. So sodium ion will have its place with stationary storage. It'll take some of the load off lithium um, and some very short range transports. Um, lithium will be indispensable. I think for a generation to come in um, in electric vehicles and other forms of transportation. Yeah, and and I guess in terms of lithium as well, I, I've read in the past that it takes anywhere between sort of six to eight years to actually get from finding lithium to actually getting the mine and sort of extracting it from from a period of time. So, you know, that's you know a huge process in terms of you know when there's so much demand for for sort of lithium that we can see ahead um, over time. Um, you mentioned just at the start there, Francis, that you've recently just opened a new plant in Germany, which signifies the sort of the beginning of the world's first production of net zero carbon lithium, which, of course, is going to be a huge achievement. So firstly, congratulations on that. Can you give us, our listeners, uh, a bit of a better understanding of maybe that and also just sort of outline Vulcan Energy sort of business model? Sure. So um we, we have about 370 people now in Vulcan. Um, so we've grown a lot from startup in 2018. Um, over the course of the company's life, we've raised just over 500 million um, Australian dollars. This has enabled us to really accelerate the zero carbon lithium uh, business here, focused on, on Central Europe. We've defined the largest lithium resource in Europe. It is globally significant as well. 27 million tons contained lithium carbonate equivalent. And we've centered our initial focus around the core of that field, which we call phase one. That focuses on our existing production, so our existing geothermal wells and plant, which is pumping this brine up to the surface and has been doing so for over 10 years now, producing baseload renewable power. We're gonna add more wells to that central core uh, producing area um, to increase the brine flow to the surface. And we're going to build a bigger geothermal plant nearby, supplying the local city with renewable heat, because um, as we found out, renewable heat is even more in demand than renewable, based on renewable uh, power. And we're going to build a lithium extraction plant, which we call an LEP, 
uh, right next door to that. So it's an integrated geothermal energy and lithium extraction plant. That produces a lithium chloride salt concentrate, and that then gets transported um, up the road to a chemical park where we're building a lithium hydroxide plant. And that uses electrolysis cells, very similar to chloroalkali cells, which have been used for over 100 years. And the main input there is green power to produce lithium hydroxide. But the lithium extraction works um, using an adsorbent, which we produce ourselves. So most adsorbents you can buy on the market come from Russia or China. Um, ours is our own proprietary in-house technology. Um, and we've spent, a, we've invested a lot on building up the, um, the know-how in-house. So we have Vulcan Labs, we have pilot plants with tens of thousands of hours that we built ourselves. Um, and essentially the, the lithium chloride ions adsorb onto the surface of the sorbent. The sorbent is, um, if you can imagine a bunch of very large columns filled with these resin beads, um, the lithium adsorbs um, onto those resin beads. The brine washes through, it's re-injected back into the reservoir um, and it's a closed loop system. We then wash off the lithium using fresh water, which gets recycled, so very low water usage. Um, and that whole process is driven by the waste heat from the renewable energy plant, the geothermal plant. Um, so the plants, the geothermal plant produces its saleable heat first, which we get um, revenue from. And then the waste residual heat we use to run the lithium process. So um, essentially our mine, if you like, it's not a mine, but um, the, the mine in inverted commas is built for free because that's driving the geothermal plant. So it's a really neat process. And what we've just done in Germany is we've, um, we've finished our first, what we call our optimization plant. It's basically a commercial demo. Um, so we spent about 40 million euros on that. And that will be operating for the next two, two and a half years as we build commercial phase one. So it's there to train our team in a pre-commercial environment. And that hopefully reduces the ramp up time once we get uh, phase one into production. Amazing. Amazing. And I, I think that's, it's great to sort of get that background because, you know, I think sometimes when we think about sort of lithium renewable energy, you know, we don't get to sort of really see um, into it that, that in depth, but there is so many sort of processes. Um, and I want to talk a little bit now in terms of just sort of commodity linked businesses in, in general, uh, often in, in sort of those businesses, the victors tend to be sort of the lower cost producers. Um, where does sort of Vulcan position itself in that regard? So we saw two trends when we were starting Vulcan. Um, one is that, as you point out, um, the, uh, there's a huge advantage in being a low um, OPEX uh, producer, I think, in, in any commodity. And what we're going to see, what we're already seeing in the lithium industry is that um, you're, you're going to get these very um, violent swings in pricing. And the reason for that is that um, we see the, the lithium market growing at 30% compound annual growth rate per annum at the moment. It's a huge rate of increase. I think it's the, well, it's the fastest growing market of any sort that I know at the moment, to be honest. Um, and that is matched by you know, roughly a 30% compound annual growth rate in electric vehicle sales as well. Um, and what that means is it's a very small market growing very quickly. So every time a new mine or a new supply comes online or some new demand comes online, you're going to get these violence swings. Um, and that's what we've seen in the last two years. And um, that can be quite hard to survive in. So we saw the hard rock producers, um, companies like Pilgrim Minerals, um, you know, go through some very tough times previously with um, low spodumene prices. And then obviously it's come back and they made a lot of cash in a short space of time. And, you know, now the price has come down again. 
Um, from our perspective, we want to insulate ourselves from that. And the neat thing about our process is because we're using uh, essentially a waste product from the geothermal plants in, in, in that um, the brine is just a waste product that goes back into the ground and the, the residual heat as well. We have a very, very low operating cost or OPEX. Um, so we're somewhat insulated from those price swings. We also saw another trend, which I think is really important. So um, in 2018, Volkswagen was the first one to say that they're going to treat sustainability on par with price as a purchasing metric. And that tells you when they're looking for critical raw materials for batteries, that is, that um, you know, they will potentially pay a premium for a sustainable product. Now we have Volkswagen as a customer now, also Stellantis, Renault, LG, and Umicor um, will be buying our lithium hydroxide. Um, but I think there'll be a premium that emerges. And I think we're already seeing a premium index for lithium actually just uh, recently announced um, for lower carbon or zero carbon, more sustainable lithium production. And this is also dovetailing in with um, uh, the what's called the carbon border adjustment mechanism in places like Europe, which is being taken up in places like the US as well. We're going to see these carbon walls go up. Um, and I think that will really uh, that will be advantage to low carbon or zero carbon producers like ourselves. Um, and that will be a structural disadvantage to higher carbon, more energy intensive lithium produced in the future. So low cost, low carbon, um, definitely the way forward there. Yeah. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because I guess, you know, when, when somebody is maybe buying their electric vehicle the first time, they think they're obviously c contributing, you know, fantastically to, um, you know, reducing emissions. But I guess there's, you know, what goes on behind the scenes to be able to, you know, make that electric vehicle to, to extract the lithium, uh, as you say. And I think having that focus on um, sustainability is, is sort of really important. And as you say, will continue to sort of shine through in the future um so sort of staying with then sort of automotive companies you mentioned volkswagen and a few other names there um we've got hyundai at the moment they're opting uh in some cases to sort of use hydrogen gas tanks over lithium for electric vehicles just want to sort of get your thoughts on on that um in terms of maybe that playoff in in terms of moving forward for electric vehicles hydrogen against lithium and and sort of what you think about that Sure. So I, I think it was it, it was a it was a debate a few years ago. I, I don't think it's a debate um, anymore. So even the um, most uh, enthusiastic pushes of of hydrogen, um, such as Toyota, I think now have finally come around to the fact that they need to produce electric vehicles. That's what that's what the customer wants. Um, ultimately. You know, it's easier to produce and um, produce a product that everyone wants to buy and drive, essentially, and produce a, a sustainable product as well. Um, so I, I think it, it's a reasonably short answer there. I think I think um, lithium-ion batteries have 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 won the argument there against hydrogen for transportation. I think uh, hydrogen, green hydrogen, may have its place in heavy industry, um, and we're certainly seeing a lot of investments towards that in various countries around the world. Um, and, you know, things, things like decarbonizing steel production as well. Um, you know, there's, there's probably a place there, but not for, certainly not for passenger vehicles. Um, unlikely for trucks either, um, to be honest. I think that was the other argument that hydrogen could have a place in trucks. But I think we're just, we're seeing batteries getting so good now um, with the range, with the ability to recycle um, uh, you know, you get into this infinite loop, essentially, where you can recycle these metals again and again and again, charge them from, 
uh, renewable energy. I think the technology has got so good now that hydrogen can't compete on transportation. And if Hyundai is uh, holding out there, um, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Yeah. And just staying with sort of, you mentioned batteries there, and I want to sort of, you know, dive into that a little bit because it's sort of been no secret really that, that battery life has been a challenge uh, for electric vehicles over time. And we've seen sort of the range as well continuing to to improve over the years and and that's um maybe a, d a debate that's gone on that electric vehicles may um, not allow the the great australian road trip but we are continuing to see um charges pop up you know across the the country but again that sort of battery life is is going to be key to achieve real success do you have any insights in and in how long it may take to sort of really overcome these challenges and, and are we continuing to move in the right direction in terms of improving battery life and uh, and distance as well i, I mean I, I think uh the impression that a lot of people get is from the technology from you know perhaps two or three years ago um it's moved incredibly fast so if you buy an electric vehicle today you're likely to have a range of at least over 400 kilometers, um, but likely over 500. And some of the new um, models that are coming online um, uh, have, have ranges sort of 600, 700 even as well. Um, I, I can't remember the last time I drove uh, a petrol car and didn't stop after, you know, four or 500 Ks. Um, you, you're gonna wanna stop and, and have a rest. Um, I, I've done the Great Australian Road Ship driving a, an electric vehicle and um, it's it's so slick um, you, you, particularly for for Tesla and their their charges um, and I, I, I I don't have an offtake room with Tesla I'm not working for them in any way but um, the uh, the system really really works very very well um, and by the time you've taken a sort of a nature break or and and got a cup of tea um, you know 15 20 minutes later you're back up to 80 percent charge and you, you carry on with your your road trip so um you know they're they're quieter, they're faster, they're more fun to drive, um, less pollution. You know for our for our kids as well in in whichever city you live in, um, you charge it off your solar. It's it's just a no brainer. Um, and I think the range has got to the point where it's not a problem anymore, um, and it's beyond that sort of psychological point. Which I think and I think once again that's where lithium comes in. You have to have that for you know, plus 400, plus 500 kilometers range, which I think most people want to want to have. Is it getting better? Um, absolutely. Uh, it gets better every year. Um, there's a huge amount of R&D uh, spend going into it globally. Um, the next iteration is solid state, um, which I think takes you, you know, an extra level upwards in terms of range. Um, and uh, it's been five years away for a while, but I think it's sort of, yeah, three, four, five years away now. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's definitely beyond that point, I think of customers accepting them. And I think the electric vehicles sales are reflecting that globally as well, you know, growing at 30% uh, per annum essentially. Yeah. And they are fantastic drivers as well. I'll, I'll reiterate that. I remember my, my auntie just a few months ago had just purchased a Tesla and it did feel like getting into, uh, maybe a bit of a rocket ship when he first got it and it is a beautiful drive. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about the sort of the lithium space broadly because investors uh, have been sort of piling into to sort of lithium over the last sort of few years, um, uh, you know, across a, a realm of sort of different industries per se across sort of lithium. There are a lot of players, right? And we spoke earlier about sort of how Vulcan is 
sort of leading the way really in terms of net zero carbon lithium. But I want to talk about obviously that the landscape of it being, you know, a pretty competitive space. Um, how is Vulcan sort of navigating what is a pretty crowded uh, landscape and and I guess you know you're obviously setting yourself apart. Um, how are you doing that and and how how do you differ from from what is out there already? Sure. So I, I think that there's a couple of trends which we benefit from. One of which I've mentioned already. This um, uh, really prioritization by the um, auto OEMs and the battery manufacturers of uh, sustainable battery raw materials. That's been a big focus, and they're trying to produce net zero carbon EVs, including all the raw materials and the batteries. Um, very difficult to do that with, you know, hard rock lithium processed in China, um, which is predominantly uh, driven by, by fossil fuels, and it's a very intense energy intensive process. So I think we have an inherent advantage baked in there from a sustainability viewpoint. And that's backed up by the fact that we have, you know, binding off agreements with really tier one customers in Europe, you know, the main auto OEMs and battery, uh, battery manufacturers. Um, the cost, uh, cost of production we already mentioned as well, that's another advantage that's sort of baked in. Um, and with the offtakes, we have some you know, pricing stabilization mechanisms built in there as well. Um, so for the first few years of production, which is really key, particularly for the banks, you know, they're seeing a low cost of production on one side and they're seeing um, the pricing stability with the offtakes on the other side and the margin in between. So we're very insulated from what happens with short-term um, oversupply or undersupply. Um, uh, because of those offtake agreements in place. I, I think there's another uh, separate point to mention as well, which is that um, we're seeing this, you know, deglobalization of supply chains. Um, it, the world is a very different place than it was a, a few years ago. And Europe has a mandate to uh, try and produce as much of its own battery or materials as possible. Um, and they're pushing very hard for that. Uh, so we have another advantage in that we're right in the center of the um, European battery and electric vehicle uh, supply chain. So instead of transporting raw materials from tens of thousands of kilometers across the world, ours is, you know, our nearest customer is 60 kilometers away. Um, so I think that's another, I, I think that's a trend that investors may be interested in that um, I think you want to look for uh, projects that are as close to the customer um, as possible, uh, because I think that's what the way the, uh, the world is going. Having said that, um, I, I, I don't think there's a problem with competition in the lithium market. It's a very collegial market. Um, I think we need as much supply as we can get. Um, it's great that we're discovering all of these projects around the world. Um, I was worried that we wouldn't get these projects into production fast enough. I'm still a bit concerned about that, to be honest, because the it's reasonably easy to mine them, but the, the chemical conversion, as a lot of projects have found out, is very, very difficult to do. Um, and so I think there's a lot of over-optimism in how much uh, chemicals we can get into the market. So all, all power to all the other companies getting the products in there. We need as much as we can get for the electric vehicle transformation. Yeah. And, you know, I think you mentioned a little bit there in terms of governments looking to obviously, you know, bring in sort of new initiatives. Governments obviously across the world are phasing out sort of combustion engines. We spoke already about sort of the the annual growth rate of lithium, the annual growth rate of obviously electric vehicles. So I just want to finish on in terms of what does that mean for Vulcan in terms of, you know, addressing sort of the, the size of this market at play, find investors be keeping an eye on from Vulcan Energy moving forward. Sure. So 
we're ready to move into phase one execution now. So as I mentioned, there's 370 people on the ground just within Vulcan. That's not including, you know, consultants and contractors um, who are basically moving into the, the pre-execution phase, if you like. So in some cases, we're breaking ground. Um, we've we bought sort of key parcels of land. We've done this bridging engineering study as well, um, which is basically the last study we need before we, we, we take it to the bank. Um, we're launching our phase one financing now. Um, expecting to have that completed uh, by mid of next year. In the meantime, we'll we'll keep the project momentum going in the background with that those pre-execution works. But essentially, we're, we're building Europe's first fully domestic lithium uh, production, and we're doing it with the world's first net zero carbon lithium production as well. So it's it's right place, right product, right time, right customers, right team. Um, so there's there's a lot of uh, uh, factors in our favour there, um, combined with really strong government support, state level, local level, because we're supplying them with renewable heat um, as a as a byproduct. So that's that's a win win. Um, federal level as well, European level. Um, so a lot of regulatory tailwinds there as well. So so it's really exciting. It's a really exciting phase for us. Um, we with this optimization plant up and running, first tons of lithium chloride being produced, operations team training. Um, so it be, uh, you know, it, it was a, it was an idea on paper a few years ago. Now it's, now it's um, actually physically being built, which is, uh, I think, a really exciting phase for the company. Um, next few weeks and months, I think, to be honest, the main question that has been hanging over our heads with investors is the financing. Um, you know, we have to raise a, a chunky sum of debt and equity. We're going to do this at the project level, not at Topco. Um, because we see this as the first phase of many. And we, so we'd like to um, reduce dilution at Topco as much as possible and keep our powder dry for further phases. Um, we're speaking to some very interesting companies, strategic um, corporates, financial institutions to fund the equity part. Um, so I think uh, investors can hopefully expect to see something on that in the, uh, the coming weeks and months. Um, and we're also doing the, the debt financing in the background as well, supported by government-backed export credit agencies as well, so hopefully cheaper debt, um, and possibly government grants as well, which we're also applying for. So I think a lot of, hopefully a lot of questions will be answered in the coming months on that financing. I think that's the last essentially question that's hanging over us in the, uh, um, in the eyes of investors. So um, hopefully exciting months to come. Amazing. Yeah, it sounds like there's going to be a lot ahead for for sort of Vulcan and it sounds like you're going to have a busy few months and maybe no rest uh, over the Christmas period for, for you, Francis. Um, but look, thank you very, very much for joining today. That was highly insightful and it gives our, our sort of listeners a, a great insight into not just sort of lithium, uh, but into sort of net zero lithium as well moving forward. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me on. Cheers, Josh. Uh, thanks again, everyone, for listening. Um, for more on Vulcan Energy, there will be a link uh, in the bio to view the company on eToro. I will add some more links there for you as well. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and share this video. Uh, again, thank you, everyone, uh, for listening, and see you all next time. You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation, or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results.